Welcome to episode four of Disrupting Your Business. I'm your host, Stephen Burns. Today, I'll be sharing with you my conversation with Jordana Ayer. And this was, for me, a really difficult interview. As you know, my hope with this podcast is to bring you ideas that might be applied to your business or at least inspire you to do other great things, but which might also be challenging and maybe even controversial. Well, I decided to tackle this subject because it is totally out of my area of understanding. And you're going to be able to hear this in my voice as I fumble around searching for ways to connect with our guest. And this is really no fault of hers. It's really that I decided to take on a subject which is way outside of my wheelhouse. And I don't even have the proper vocabulary to have a truly valuable conversation. As a brief introduction, Jordana is the founder of Modern Day Sorcerer. Yeah, you heard that right. She has created an online accredited leadership academy, which she calls the Sorcerer School. The reason why I was interested in speaking with Jordana is because she works with leaders from many different industries. In fact, this has nothing to do with whether you're you know, an engineer, an architect, a lawyer, an accountant, or if you even just run a grocery store. What's interesting to me is she works with leaders to dissolve the separation between our practical and our spiritual lives. In principle, I really like this idea because it is related to my thoughts about reading books that are outside of one's typical area of interest, or maybe reading a business book about an industry that is totally unrelated to yours. There are things that we see and we can learn from the other side of the street that can help inform us as to brilliant new things that we can do in our own yard. So my desire to speak with her was to find out a bit more about her work, which ultimately is intended to redefine our conventional definitions of power, money, relationships, both personal and and at work. And in fact, her sorcerer powers also extend into working with people in government. Now, not only do I not see anything wrong with this, but if you go back and listen to my brief 15-minute podcast titled The Nature of Business, you're going to understand my thoughts that the structures that we have devised for ourselves, the way we run our businesses, it's totally a matter of happenstance. Whoever happened to be in the driver's seat at those pivotal moments in the evolution of business is what shapes our reality. And it is not that hard to insert an ingredient into anything that can totally change things. And I think she's onto something, and I'm quietly cheering her on, and those of her ilk. These are people who are really looking to bring out the uniqueness in each individual so that uh, they can bring their humanity to every aspect of their lives, from their personal to their business and to society, without any regard to our current expectations and limitations. Please feel free to comment directly on our podcast page at Podbean or shoot an email to disrupt at bqe.com. And speaking of BQE, this podcast is made possible through the generosity of BQE software. BQE provides service professionals with business and project management software that helps drive their business. So let's get started. I now bring you my interview with Jordana Ayer. Welcome, Jordana, and thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Stephen. It's great to be here. Yeah, I appreciate you doing it. I know you're not feeling well today, so I hope we can get through this without too much of an incident. But Thank you. It's subjective. I'm feeling well. I'm simply present to the the allness, which is, you know, sometimes things aren't perfect because there's growth in it. It's great. 
Yeah. So it's just a different variation of feeling well. <laughs> okay. And by the way, just so listeners understand, uh, I had a question about this recently. When we do an interview, we're not in person uh, and neither do we see each other. So there's no video because I think it's important that what I listen to when I hear you speak is exactly what the audience hears as well. And there's no unspoken communication uh, through video or just in-person contacts. So this is going to be a little bit of a uh, puts me in an uncomfortable situation because what you deal with day to day, what you're living in dealing in businesses in, in a sort of maybe mystical or spiritual way is not an area I'm very comfortable with. So please bear with me as I try to uh, pull from you kind mm-hmm. of the, the what you're doing and how our listeners could uh, maybe tap into some of this in, in their own business. So bear with me, please. You're, you're wonderful, Stephen. Truly, there's nothing to be concerned about. So I was thinking about this. If you, if you and I were sitting on a plane next, and, uh, you know, just two strangers and you're in the seat next to me and I turned to you and asked you the question, which, by the way, I never, ever ask people what they do for a living. Uh, I really rather know about, you know, people and what interests them. But uh, mm-hmm. if I asked you what you did for a living, what would you say to me? You know, it depends upon the day. <laughs> it really does. What I do, and I will tell you directly in a moment, and what I do is is truly a combination of many things into one, and it it actually is understood differently by different people. So often I, I am intuitive in the way I approach it. Now, given that we are currently sitting on a plane with an audience of many, <laughs> I will just go ahead and give the more general, here's what I do. So I, we're on a plane, I'm telling you. I teach people how to access an innate power within themselves that operates from that constantly moving spiral that's in the creation of everything in life. And I do this through the energetics within the physical world of life and business, as well as a revealing of their own unique wisdom and also an understanding of how our humanity holds the keys to our power. That's what I do. So have you... Have you ever had that situation where somebody you bump into who doesn't know you asks you what you do and then you tell mm-hmm. them what you just told us and what is what is, what do they how do they react to that? It's so it is so individual. So sometimes when people hear the element of the spiral that I just mentioned they're mm-hmm. like, "Oh my god, the spiral. It's been following me around." <laughs> or, "Oh, you mean like Fibonacci sequence?" Yeah, exactly. Or, "Oh, I have no idea what you're talking about." but I feel like I want to know more. Okay, so you just, when you said the spiral, I was like a little confused, and then you talk about the Fibonacci series, and I I go, okay, now I kind of get a visual on maybe what that's about. But I've never ever looked at these as anything like other than mathematical. Mm, And mm -hmm. so how is it you discovered you have this skill that allows you to tap into this and, in fact, help others tap into something that it may be something that's just never been revealed to them in life before? Mm, it's a really great question. So I don't know if you're actually going to like the answer, Steve, because <laughs> from what I know of you, and by the way, you know, in the in the short amount of time we've known each other, I absolutely love you. So this is not to discredit you for <sighs> okay. your wonderfulness. I don't know if you're going to like the answer, though. The answer is that, and of course, throughout a series of events in my life and things that I'm happy to tell you about if you want to know the logistics of what happened in my life that led me to this point and the point where I was actually able to access things such as 
mathematical ratios turning into such insane wisdom was because I put down the books and I stopped reading and I stopped looking outside of myself for answers. And again, part of that was because I was forced to (laughs) by the universe, by life, by the way life was leading me. And I went inside of myself and I started finding, and you know, at first it was hard and it was scary because when I would go inside of myself, it would feel vast and it would feel empty sometimes or too full sometimes. And it was hard to just sit inside of myself to get the answers, but I I could feel that they wanted to come through in that way. And so I learned how to do that. And by learning how to stop looking outside and start looking inside, the answers that I began finding actually... So at first, I was just blown away by the power of the answers that I began finding. And then along the way, as life continued, what I started to discover was that I actually had the answers that were things that were written in some of the most profound, you know, books of philosophers or books of mathematicians or books of scientists within myself. So this is actually going to end up being interesting or uh, more interesting, more interesting than I may have expected because it's everybody that I know in business or who's an entrepreneur is picking up books and they're reading about other people's experiences or reading, you know, Harvard business, you know, case studies and trying to understand what's happened and digesting that and then reinterpreting it and then applying it to their business. Are you suggesting that one could actually succeed in business by ignoring all of that, but instead, you know, escaping into a silent retreat somewhere and just communing with nature and then finding some answer or answers that will help lead them in their business forward? I am. I'm not suggesting it's the only way. I I believe that there's a balance. And so for one who has potentially spent their lives, you know, on a proverbial or literal mountaintop, then there is also a lot to be said for seeing what else is out there in the world, learning to listen to what others have to say. And, and the primary reason I actually believe in reading the books is because reading other perspectives that are not our own take us into cognitive dissonance, which is actually what helps us to grow and to understand things on a more powerful and profound level. And I believe that we are at a point right now in society where more people, where there's a a larger push and a larger need to put down the books and to go within. And I'm finding that the more business people that do it and the more just humans that do it, the more powerful their lives begun. And if you'll quickly, I'm actually going to interject something else. We have a history of that too, though. So if you look at some of the biggest change on the planet, Nelson Mandela is one of my favorite examples. He was able to make the change he did because he was incarcerated for so long, because he was forced to go with it. Good. So it's it's not like you're saying don't read, don't learn, don't listen, but bal- maybe balance it a little bit by doing some of that, but then going away, allowing yourself some time to be alone consider that stuff rather than always being in the midst of the frenzy of business, but escape and, and, and give it more thought. Is that a fair description? For some, for some people, yes. So uh, 
for some people that is exactly what's necessary. And then where it reaches into really do put down the books for a much longer period of time and don't pick them up for years would be more in the realm of, of he or she who is a visionary or who knows. So it could be someone that knows they have a massive vision to carry out and knows what it is or knows they do and doesn't know what it is yet. And for those people, it is often better to err on the side of less books overall, I believe, at least in this space and time where we are in humanity right now. Because the if you look, for example, at you know, this spiral of creation that I utilize in my work and how it is, it does come from deep mathematics and I am not a mathematician and yet I can still understand it. That level and capacity of wisdom, which is what I believe is required to innovate and to make the change that we really are all desiring to see on the planet, the levels we're desiring to see it, those levels of change require leaders that hold wisdom that is unprecedented. And to find that level of wisdom, that deeply inside of ourselves, less books. You had either spoken or I read somewhere that you don't, you know, you don't want people to be maybe a misunderstanding of the word sorceress. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing you probably gave a lot of thought to how you would define your business and you decided that you would be a sorceress, right? So... Or a sorcerer. What would be the right word to describe that? That might be a, a bad Me Too moment here. Is it a sorcerer? <laughs> no, I use the word sorcerer because the the word is it is gender neutral essentially. Well, I mean, a woman would be a sorceress, a man would be a sorcerer. I don't personally care. I've okay. female so, clients. So, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so so, so you, you 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 have to appreciate that when someone like I was, I was telling people around the office today, okay, I'm going to go have this interesting conversation with a sorcerer. And it I guess instantly, I am a sorceress, by the way. I'm a woman. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> it, it, it instantly sets an expectation mm-hmm. in people's minds. Oh, yeah. Oh, as yeah. opposed to saying, as I might do, oh, I'm going to be talking to a business coach today, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And people go, oh, okay, fine. So the minute you say you're dealing with a sorcerer, is this a something you've done purposely to... No brand yourself in a particular way? What's the rationale? You know, part of me wants to say, I wish. (laughs) I've had quite a few successful business people say, whoa, how did you figure that one out? It's so innovative. Of course, it's going to stick out. I'm like, I I didn't choose it. I actually was led into it. And and the moment when the light bulb fully came out and I realized, holy what? I am a what? I am a sorceress? The clarity though, was the, it was truly the deepest feeling inside of me. And I knew in that moment, it defined the feeling of it, defined everything. And I had always known about myself in the up until then 30, 30 30-ish years of life. And it all made sense. (laughs) And all the things that I knew myself to be and all the things I did and did not understand about myself and about life and about humanity, it all came into one element. And I went, oh my God, that, that, whoa, this is who I've always been. In every iteration of life. And then the moment I, the moment that really landed, I started toying with it. And I really, I, I could feel that it was guiding me. And the moment I used it in business, uh-huh. whoa, so, it started changing. So for all those young listeners out there who want to be, become a sorcerer one day, well, what's the path? 
So the path is there are aspects of it that are same, the same for all of us, because as humans, there are things that are distinctly and innately human. And so one of the aspects of the path of the sorcerer is to deeply understand our humanity. And that means the brilliance of the mind, you know, where we are prone to overthinking and learning to allow the overthinking as well as lessen it and the depths of the feels. So I work with people who know themselves to be deep feelers and who are overwhelmed by that in reducing the overwhelm and learning to feel as they were meant to, as well as people who are numb to their feelings or who, who resist their feelings who are starting to understand that there's something in their feelings. So a sorcerer knows the power of their humanity and then there are also, and they also know the power of the energetics in the physical world. So they, they really access the physical world. A sorcerer does not leave the physical world behind. Instead, they see how much more is possible in the physical. And then they learn the energetics, the intangibles to, to drastically increase, increase what's possible. And then the part that's really unique to each person who is becoming a sorcerer is the uniqueness of the wisdom inside of each of us. So they learn how to hone and access their own unique wisdom. Because we're interested in, at least with regard to this podcast, uh, how these apply into business, just curious, since you've dealt with um, so many business people, what industries have your clients been associated with or what are the predominant industries? Uh, oh gosh, it's so many. The financial industry is a big one and that can be both traditional financial as well as blockchain and crypto. Those are big industries. I've had a lot of people in nonprofit. I do work, even though I don't consider myself a traditional coach, I do work with a lot of coaches and people who are already in self-development in some way, shape or form. I work with government. I work with police force, like law enforcement. Uh, it really, I mean, they cross biotech is another big one. I mean, I could literally go on and on and on. Mm -hmm. The there's, there's power in all of us and change to be made with all of us. Okay. So I want to back it up a little bit and maybe before you became a sorceress, can you give me an example maybe of something in your, in your life personal or business, maybe something that you would be willing to share that you failed at? <laughs> I mean, lots of things. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's say, so probably the biggest failure that feels really great to share because it's, it's, well, I mean, they're all great to share. So my very first company, I mean, in a way it was a success, right? I do believe all failures were successes. Can never lose when you say that. Right. And it's true. And it really is true. So my first company, I had two and a half million dollars in investment at the table and I moved up to the Bay area. This was 2006. So I think you know where this is going or no, was it 2008 when I moved? So you really know. Oh, even better. Going. Okay. More prescient. <laughs> exactly. And I kid you not that the day I like literally an hour or two after I got into my U-Haul to leave my apartment in San Diego behind to head off to San Francisco because my investors had not yet signed checks and yet they wanted to be active in the company and we were just waiting for everybody to come to the table. And within an hour or two of my hopping into the U-Haul to drive off, my champion investor called and said, hey, I know that you know the market crashed. And I was like, yeah, I didn't want to call because I've been too scared. <laughs> 
something told me, just don't call, go anyway. And the market had crashed. He lost all of his liquidity. And then it just one by one by one, all of the investors pulled out. Every investor, he tried to still champion me, but every investor that we sought after, it just, huge failure. Huge. Yeah, that, that was a <laughs> failure of um, uh, something that hadn't yet launched. Uh, and it was mm-hmm. outside of your control entirely. Mm-hmm. So just curious, since you had others to offer, uh, was there another failure that you experience because that that's one that you you can clearly say I had nothing really to do with the result there the outcome there is there something else that you've done um, yeah. in business or in your life that's that you failed and maybe created a uh, pivot for you there were a lot of minor failures throughout I mean of course there's there's always moments where it's like oh I shouldn't have, oh I'm you know I apologize that was not the best thing to say I do that with my partner more frequently than anyone else because you know the mirrors my childhood was riddled with failures in my power riddled with this knowing that I was meant to be powerful and that we all were and that we all could and what humanity could look like if we all did. (laughs) And yet with communication that wasn't fully carrying the imprinting of the love that I knew was possible. So there were a lot of like, you know, getting kicked out of the classroom because I called the teacher. Can I swear? Sure. I I called my second grade teacher a fucking bitch. Oh, you can't say that. (laughs) <laughs> I can't or cannot. You can't. No, that's fine. I mean, the teacher wouldn't appreciate that. There I'm were sure, a lot but. of mini failures like that when I was growing up, trying to learn how to express the power that I knew definitely took a lot of stumbles to really find the real thing. Sure. That was just sort of an immaturity uh, point in your life. Yeah. So today, what is Jordana's favorite word? Oh my gosh. Uh, Expansion, I guess. Although I feel like I stopped using that word for a while. It's starting to come back into my vocabulary. It's in everything. It's everywhere. Well, good. Okay. So expansion is not a bad word. Uh, I guess I've heard recently that our universe is doing that. So we might as well go along with it. (laughs) We're all in all moments. Yes. So tell me something that is true, true to you because I guess there's alternative truths these days. Tell me something that's true that almost mm. nobody agrees with you on. Oh boy, that almost, no- this is a great question, Steve. You've got quite the question. I want to push you out of your comfort zone because when I first right? you know, met with you, 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 were, you know, everything was together. You were really smooth and I'm thinking, okay, how can I get her, you know, challenge her a little bit? <laughs> no, I love it, it's great. I mean, would you rather hear it from the standpoint of how I carry my truth, which is not directly answering your question, but very interesting, or H? However you want to wiggle, however you want to wiggle out of this no, one, no, it's, no, it's no, you're no. free to do so, it. So, okay. so what I will say is, my beliefs can often cause conflict or kind of a uh, like a rising up within people, because I have learned how to, or you know, kind of been forced to by my sorcerousness or that greater energy, whatever you want to call it to take part in cognitive dissonance on a consistent basis. And so there will be something that is very true to me. And then I will encounter a parallel or polar truth and go, but if that's true, and you know, we humans all do that, right? Instead of resisting it, though, I've learned how to go into that space in between the two truths or the multiple truths and come out with new truths. 
Because of that, though, I'm very, I actually have a huge tendency to speak things that people are like, no, there's no way, or, but I don't, I don't understand because I can speak to both things being true at once. So you live in a world of cognitive dissidence and most of us are trying to avoid it, avoid it, <laughs> reconcile yeah. it. One side has to win over the other. And you, you feel we ought to be stronger by simply accepting the dissidence. Yes. Maybe? Absolutely so. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Then I think you did definitely hit on uh, something that's true to you that almost nobody agrees with you on. That's a good <laughs> one. Uh, congratulations. I didn't think you were going to make it through <laughs> that it. one. Uh, okay. So let's say we're working together. You, I'm a client of yours. Give me an example of a time in your career when you actually pushed one of your clients out of their comfort zone and let's say, and it succeeded. Uh Mm-hmm. And maybe if there's uh, if you push them out and it and it failed because I think it's it's up to the person you're working with whether they can actually get through this process successfully. So, is there a, a time when you've pushed somebody really beyond like a disbeliever? So I, I actually remember. So okay, so when people enter the school it's on a contract basis. And, you know, I've gone through and through and through what is, what is an integrity because contracts are in a way a very old paradigm thing, but also in a way we're still human and we need them. This particular client about three or four, and I've seen this before as well. This one was a more extreme scenario (laughs) where a few months into the school, he was like, I I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. And I said, mm, yeah, no. <laughs> the, I mean, my gut feeling and the guidance I was getting was just hold him to it. Just love him in it, but don't let him out. And because he worked in the financial industry, he knew that he couldn't back out of the clique. So his integrity with the finances of it and with the you know, credit aspect, some people would just be like, whatever, I don't care about my credit. <laughs> and this particular client said, well, I don't, I don't understand. Like if you're not letting me out, then I have to do it. And, and I'm not saying, by the way, that I would never let someone out. I have also in other times when it's been aligned. This guy, I said, no, I know this is his cognitive dissonance. So I just held him in it. He screamed at me. <laughs> he was so angry. His mm-hmm. ego was just like on fire. And mine, honestly, was like I could feel the anxiety of my ego wanting to do something. And it was just like, no, just breathe. And he decided, well, if I'm paying for this, I'm going to keep doing it. And it was only maybe a month later when something just drastically started to shift and I started to see it on his face. And about a month after that, he asked if I could stay after school and have a conversation with him. And he just poured out gratitude. He's like, well, I'm learning all these things about my purpose. Oh my God, my relation, everything in his life had changed because he stuck with it. So this is great because (laughs) this is the power of money at this point talking, (laughs) because here's a guy who, if money weren't part of the equation, he would have turned around and walked out and there wouldn't have been any transformation in his life. This is more of a testament to the power of money. Um, I would suspect that each person who engages with you and goes to your school might have their own driving force why they've come there and maybe their own definition of what success will mean to them uh, once they get through the program. So since you can't define maybe for them what success is, when Mm -hmm. you take on each of these 
are they stu- uh, maybe let's call them a student right now until you correct that for me. <laughs> what 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 would you say is your definition for success? Knowing that you're doing a great job as a sorcerer. So it is such a great question. I mean, I of course I do look for the tangibles and the things that they've asked for because I'm human and because business is business, right? So it's like, well, how can my business succeed and serve and support more people if we can't also promise the tangibles? So I do look for the sharing of, oh, you know, I'm making so much more money or wow, I'm so much more powerful in work or the opportunities are landing or my business is growing. Of course, I look for those things and we do, those things happen. My definition of success though, and this actually comes back to the, the, client, student, it's both, story that I just shared is the ability of each person who comes into the program to learn to be with the spiral, which means that they can allow the death process in life to grow them into more wisdom, more expansion, more allowing, more power. So the people who are really successful and then usually pretty actually always the ones who have the most tangible success as well are the ones who can go through the challenges and go through the discomfort and stay with it to come out to the other side of the things that they've been wanting from there. So I would guess, because I wouldn't know, I don't know if there's still yellow pages in existence, but somebody somebody was needing uh, or could use your, your services in your school, how they would find you. Is it mostly word of mouth? Is it people who have worked with you and done your program that are sharing with their colleagues? Uh, this is a program that they'd be interested in or how do you find your, your students? It's a good question. I mean, in a, in a moment we will have, we're currently doing a lot of revamping of the website to start, you know, lead generation and, and advertising into funnels and those things will be happening soon. And, they have not happened because that because the creation didn't want me to yet. I could feel it. And so for the last number of years, I have been on what I refer to as the God plan. And I'm not talking about God like a man in the sky. I mean that greater energy driving it in. And what has primarily supported in that is the more I've grown in my internal sense of power, people have literally just been drawn to me. So LinkedIn is is the biggest way where that happens. People will find me on LinkedIn and reach out and be like, there's something about you. I don't know what it is. And they will become clients. And yes, referrals as well. Okay. Okay. So so uh, I think I found my, a new excuse here at the office. Our, our CEO uh, every year asks uh, a group of us to put our, our goals down for each year and what we expect to achieve. And if I don't hit those goals, I basically can now tell him it just wasn't in the plan, right? It wasn't, it wasn't any uh, lack of effort on my part. I, I have a bona fide excuse that Jordana tells me I can, I can use. Thank you. <laughs> there could be truth in that. And then there also, there's, there's a lot of discernment necessary, which has been an interesting, you know, being part of my team. <laughs> that it's very, there's a lot of discernment. What does it really mean for someone to meet their goals? And also what does it mean to surrender to the greater plan? Back in 1993, I opened my architectural firm and I had never run a business before and I had joined a a network of other architectural firm owners. And there was always a facilitator. We would meet a couple times a year and 
One of the things that the facilitator pointed out is when one makes a, a business plan, I should call it a life plan. And because the business is really there to serve you in your life. Businesses can come and go, but life just goes. So, so uh, that was a real uh, epiphany for me that when I think about my business, I should also you know, think about my life. So I'm curious when you, you know, you're dealing with entrepreneurs or business owners or C-level executives, whatever, maybe they don't appreciate that. Or how do you separate their business and their personal lives when you work with them in the program? Or does your program not even acknowledge one versus the other? And it's totally about uh, one's own self. And because if you get the self right, then everything else will fall into place. Depends on the program. So I, the focus in each program is different. So I have one program that though it's not directed at business versus personal, what we do is we direct the tangible and the intangible and we connect the dots between the two. And so people come in with the intentions of business or the intentions of personal, but it's up to them to determine what they want to work with that day. So if we say, for example, today we're, yesterday we worked with focus, which is kind of something, it's something that we drive with the external world and we looked at the energetics of it. Or, you know, one day we'll look at our bodies or we'll look at money, something that, you know, we deem as physical and learn the energetics of it you know, money is personal as well as business. So they determine at that point. I've got another program that is much more leader driven. And so generally speaking, we're working with it from a business perspective and people are always having personal shifts there as well. Um, And then my clients who, the few that I am able to work with one-on-one or the companies that I go into, that's pretty much always business driven, but then they have personal shifts as well. So what I've found though, is that I've always been shocked. You know, I used to ask people, well, do you, and we still kind of, we're actually making some changes to the website where we do a little bit of this still, well, do you want business or do you want personal? Because people, some people need to understand it that way. But I've always been shocked actually that most of my clients come in and they say, but I know it's all connected. I don't need to discern the difference between the two. I, I don't know if I should get personal here, but I found as maybe it's aging um, or maybe it's having more comfort in one's personal life. But I definitely feel my the type of person I am at work has improved as my own personal life has improved okay. and, 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 and is comfortable. And I, I can gather that it just is like a... Um, it just ripples through mm-hmm. one's life. If it's bad at work, it ends up coming home and being bad. Yes. If it's good at work, <laughs> it's probably, you know, and, and vice versa. So I, I can get that, but I, I think it's um, healthy for people to understand that that relationship there. It is. Well, and a lot of the work that we do, whether it's through my programs, the community-based programs are one-on-one, it includes a lot of discerning where, where life is leading us. And so people learn in my programs to use the outside world and it could be a challenge in a relationship or it could be a weird thing that happens or a problem, quote unquote, that suddenly arose. They learn to use them for their growth, which then always flips into business as well as personal. So as I mentioned up front, I'm, uh, I'm a, well, I'm a slow learner with this, so bear with me, but uh, this is all unfamiliar territory for me. And you did talk and have written a bit, a bit about uh, taking people 
to these, I guess, these aha moments, okay? So they're going through something and then they realize or they're made aware of something like their own wisdom. So can you explain what type of innate wisdom people have and why it's important to tap into that? It's it's like uh, we, we talked earlier about reading versus, you know, just trusting one's own innate or intuition, whatever this is here. But uh, what kind of innate wisdom would anybody have? Isn't it really uh, about what that their sponge is taken in? Because uh, if they take a baby and put them in a box, uh, and let them grow up in isolation, there's really not going to be any wisdom there. So how do you overcome a life of experiences and then just put them off somewhere and expect that they're going to have these aha moments? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So... Well, let's actually go back to the baby in the box because that it's a very interesting perspective. I have a very different perspective on it. I believe that, though, yes, it's true if we, and we're not going to do this, of course, if someone were to lock a baby in a room and never speak to it and never give it anything to nurture it, a number of years later, the baby is going to be essentially numb to the world. That I don't believe, though, that that's because of the lack of, oh, well, of course, it's like the more we take in information from the outside, the more we learn about ourselves. That's true. I don't believe, though, that the numbness is simply because of the lack of information to take in. It's because of the lack of nurturing of how to go inside of ourselves and connect that with the outside world. So what I see actually in all of my clients, and this is those who know that they have wisdom as well as those who come in going, I don't know. I want to know. I'd like to believe it. I'm just going to trust and see what happens. (laughs) What I have found is that everyone has really unique innate wisdom. So some variations, a lot of it does have to do with their life experience. Um, So for example, I have a client who went through some or had a client who went through some really interesting things with immigration, who suddenly had all of this wisdom of, okay, here's what else is possible that we can be doing as a society. And so now he's working to make changes there. So there are things where our environment and our lives lead us there. That said, there's a uniqueness of how it's supposed to be expressed inside of each of us. And so I, you know, I see people with access to technology or access to numbers or access to, oh, I mean, variations of, of being leaders or honestly, I could go on and on. It's it's the way they express it that is unique and different. I got a battle here between data versus intuition. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm in a business that is driven by data. Mm-hmm. Great, you know, ideas are always welcome. And, you know, thinking outside the box, those kinds of things that everybody always talks about, these are all welcome. But in the end, data, uh, we're told, doesn't lie. Mm-hmm. Although I did have an interesting interview with Doug Sleater a couple of weeks ago where we talked about how, when data can lie. But it's just, you know, so, so how does one at work balance that where the data is telling me something that this is that cognitive dissonance again. Uh, data is telling me one thing, but my intuition is telling me another thing. How does one reconcile that in a in business? So there's data within the self. That's the discernment. That's the differentiation. When we can look at the outside data, because it's of course not to be left behind, right? There's reasons why we have history or why we have science and they're all things to use. <laughs> and 
there is data that can be uncovered within the self that is, yes, our intuition that can take our intuition further into how to use the data or when to ignore it and when to utilize it or ways to shift it into what else is, is possible. My, my, my intuition is very different than the intuition of somebody next to me. Mm-hmm. So why would my intuition be valid to ignore the data and then other persons might not be? Or if we both said, let's just ignore the data, why would that even be the right response? If the data isn't, if the data is purely disinterested, it's not subject to my own interpretation of the data. Yeah. It's just disinterested data. Why, why would I ever say ignore it? It's so it comes down to the uniqueness of the expressions. There are people like yourself who are more data driven and their unique expression is going to it's going to be in their highest to look at the data and use it as well as their intuition. And then there are people who are more intuition driven who have to it is their path to really learn the discernment and differentiation of what their intuition is telling them. And then also to learn to access the data. So it's like, we're all coming from, you know, if you look at the polarization in life and the duality that is in everything, Mm -hmm. it's not that there's only two points that we're all coming from. However, there do tend to be, it can look like that a lot of the time. And it's really about moving into the thing that is less comfortable to find the unique expression of the thing that's comfortable. Does that make sense? It, it, it makes a little bit of sense for me. It's, uh, I can't like, I'm not sitting here nodding my head in agreement entirely. Here's another way I might approach it, uh, which you got me thinking about is data is really uh, a response to information we're already asking about. So it's like a survey. You're, if you ask questions, you're going to get answers to the questions you want answers to, but that may not be what the person really wants to tell you, but they have no other option Mm -hmm. than to tell you what you want to hear. And so the data we look at is uh, gathered in a particular way, but my intuition might be, uh, might be one that says, uh, in spite of that data, I want to try something because it's going to completely, it's, it's coming, it's going to rock the foundations. It's just, uh, it, this is how transformative things can happen yeah, in the world exactly. is people are ignoring what we've been taking to be the truths for so long. And then somebody comes along and just uh-huh. pulls the rug out from under you and you go, Oh my God, I'm, I didn't, re- didn't realize what a beautiful floor it was under that rug. And, mm-hmm. you know, we would just all assume the rug was exactly what we're supposed to be standing on because it's comfortable and, and all. So I, w- I would say uh, there's been situations where uh, I've done some things here at our company that uh, our CEOs said, go give it a shot, even though I know you're going to fail, right? So we, we want to do, we do want to try these things. Sometimes they fail, but sometimes they don't fail. Exactly. And they don't fail sometimes because uh, previously what we were looking at was from just a different point of view. Mm-hmm. And now we've changed our point of view. So uh, I kind of get that in a way, but I never... <sighs> I, I never look at this in the way you do. I feel it's because, you know how some people are, they're deficient in something. Like some people can't smell, uh, they don't have the same sensory for hearing or smell or whatever, and vision for sure for me. But mm-hmm. uh, I maybe I, I and many people I know have no uh, tools to tap into this concept of like energy that you 
you, 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 for you, this whole thing of energy is so clear mm-hmm. and obvious, mm-hmm. and it's probably all around you, and maybe you see it. And for me, you know, energy, I don't even understand energy. I've never met someone who was genuinely deficient. It's about the backgrounds we come from. It's about our comfort zones, and it's about our ability to go into more questions and to not actually need the answers in the moment. So, and it's not, you know, I, I also believe that life is entirely a choice. And so I have no lack of love or no lack of respect for someone who says, I'm simply not interested. I don't care about this energy stuff. Great. That is absolutely okay. What I've found, though, is that those who say, well, I have no idea if I have access to this. It seems like I don't. And I'm curious to find out. That curiosity and that openness is what leads them to finding out that 100% of the time they do. And I mean 100% of the time. And it's it comes back to the concept of data. It's like what I've found with data is that So there are also studies that have been done that people will find the data that speaks to their beliefs if Mm -hmm. they are looking, if, if they are, if there is like an unconscious fear or protection mechanism that is, you know, unconsciously trying to keep them safe in a certain way. Mm-hmm. They will be scouring the world for data, but only find the data that proves themselves right. And so what I have found with data is it's simply the openness and it's the asking of the bigger questions. And if mm-hmm. you talk to, I've had, for example, a lot of conversations with like NASA physicists. And because a physicist tends to, not always, but tends to be more open about the way that they perceive and work with data, they will actually have the same beliefs as me. They'll be like, well, how did you know that? And I'm like, well, God showed me. <laughs> and, and But for them, it was data-driven because they were asking the next biggest question and then staying open. Yeah, it's it's uh, funny to think, but it's so true that a, a physicist and you have so much, so much in common. I went yeah. to a conference and I sat in simply because I liked the title of it, of a uh, Nobel laureate uh, talking about his dark matter research in physics, and I know nothing about it. And what I was mesmerized, mesmerized watching this presentation, didn't understand a word of it. I didn't even understand the questions that people were asking <laughs> afterwards, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was so out of my place, but I'm just so grateful that there are people who yeah. uh, look at the world or look at the universe and, and are searching for these answers. And yeah. I felt well, and you know, so one of my big desires and reasons for doing this work is that I, I also believe, and I think this, I don't know if this is consciously what you were seeing or even directly what you were seeing. It does remind me though of this being a thing that we all need to work on. So I believe that people who carry this tremendous wisdom and often, you know, you'll see that in a physicist, a lot of the reasons why it's not landing with other people is because they have protection around their wisdom. And we all have been there and we all have that. And so I believe that that unique wisdom that we all carry and the unique expression that we all have of our own innate wisdom, because historically, you know, if you look back at literal history and space and time, it wasn't safe. And, you know, if you believe in other lifetimes, for example, it wasn't safe for someone to talk about energetics many years ago. They would have been called a witch or burned at the stake, literally, right? And so 
if you take a physicist right now, there's like all this imprinting in their DNA of where they're unconsciously feeling uncomfortable by sharing their wisdom and it comes off as pretentiousness and it comes off as, it just comes off as really challenging to understand. Mm -hmm. And I know this is my work too. It's like, I carry all of this big work and big wisdom and I'm always looking at how can I boil it down more so that everyone can understand. Yeah, that's a great secret if you can do that with complex ideas. I'm going to ask you to take me somewhere where I'm really uncomfortable now. So you have talked about something, not today, but I've read, uh, a phrase which I had no understanding of. It's awakening the divine feminine. Mm -hmm. Okay? Now, I understand um, in business it's difficult to allow the softness of receptive compassion into our lives. You know, after all, people consider the workplace kind of competitive and maybe it's a field where masculine impulses kind of win the day. So what is it you're teaching people that allows them to succeed in business while creating that kind of space to maintain health and allow, you know, those inherent qualities to surface? I mean, and you did mention that the divine feminine is not really something like men can't have Mm -hmm. connection to the divine feminine. So for those of us who are unfamiliar, can you kind of maybe help guide me a little better as to what that means and how I can tap into that? For sure. And the only reason I even use the word feminine, I will first say, is because we can all look out at the stereotypical tendencies of men versus women and actually learn from that for better or for worse, of course. And like you said, it is not men versus women, this awakening of the divine feminine. What I even prefer to refer to it as is an awakening of, you could call it the yin power or an awakening of the perfection of the darkness. And I am not and this is this is you know leading into the direct answer to your question i'm not talking about darkness like evil or like bad or like any mal doing or malintention i'm talking about darkness like the fact that we have sunset as well as sunrise and so what that means in business and what that means in supporting people in achieving their desires or their visions or their own growth means a slowing down It means learning to utilize the wisdom of our emotions as well as our thoughts. So thoughts would be more quote unquote masculine and feelings are more quote unquote feminine, right? Right. Mm -hmm. When people can find a balance between the two and really learn to access the two together. And so what that looks like for a lot of, I do have plenty of clients who are more prone to just focus, focus, focus with business. And what that often looks like for them is learning how to be with that watery sensation of the emotion while they're still focused. It's like you don't necessarily have to stop working. You just have to learn how to integrate it and be with it while you are. So for everyone, there's a different balance and variation of how that looks. And what it also means, though, I also have clients who come in more prone to the feminine, more prone to the energetics. And what they're learning to do is to integrate it on such a deep level that then they can focus more and go back into the masculine things that support in creating. You know, it has to do with how one's nurtured or you talked about earlier, you know, uh, how they're brought up and... Uh, 
I, I guess I'm thinking about maybe 30 years ago. I forgot who it was, the New England Patriots or something like that. They were they took the players to get ballet lessons because mm. it was going to improve their agility. And I, I think back then, the, 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 the nature of the feminine, you know, pursuing anything as a football player uh, might have been, you know, Nothing. No one would ever even approach that idea. So kudos to whoever, which team did that and the coach that convinced the players to do that. But it turns out by doing that, they all improved. So it's very clear that that we need to get in touch with the other sides of our nature and uh, learn from them. So it's just the it's sort of like the sorcerer phrase, you know, it, it, it's sort of like a lightning bolt and telling me to awaken the divine feminine myself is just an awkward thing for me and it might be just my age or where I'm from but doing it makes sense and, yeah. and, and understanding it okay uh, I gotta be cognizant of the time and I know you're not well so I, I when no, I'm I actually ask great. you oh good <laughs> yeah uh, I always like to ask people um, about books now I know you started out saying it's <laughs> You know, let's not talk about books because, you know, we have to get in touch with ourselves. But I'm curious, uh, what book in your life has really impacted you the most? Mm -hmm. So uh, I would say the most impactful book is the one that taught me to go inside the most, like that was the most supportive of my doing so. And it's called The Presence Process by Michael Brown. It is it is powerful. It is a, so initially within the book, you have to read, not have to, but the process looks like reading about, I don't know if it's like a hundred or 200 pages first, where you're just reading about the process and taking in the information. And then it asks you, are you going to choose this? <laughs> so you're welcome to, you know, put down the book and not do the rest of this, or you can do the next 10 weeks. And if you do, you must commit to it. Mm. Well, I, I paid money for the Michael Brown book. I have to finish it, right? Yeah, it's exactly, like <laughs> exactly. And it's intense, I will say. I mean, it, it definitely, it takes people into that yin nature. So the 10-week process also does involve some reading. Uh, and this is really similar to my work now as well, where anytime I'm talking or anytime I do give them reading, there's a vibration in the words that carries energetics that supports in the growth. That, of course, though, is not, unfortunately, the way all books are made, which is part of why I don't recommend just reading always. <laughs> that book was made that way. So the process itself is, it's like, a, I think, 15 minutes of breathing twice a day. And the breathing process itself takes you so deep into your own presence that you are essentially forced to be with everything going on inside of you. And it just, it also catalyzes a lot of stuff to happen in your life that doesn't look great. It helps you learn though that life is always giving you catalysts and ammunition to grow that's actually supporting you and your desires even when it doesn't look like it. Great. So, so, so this begs the question, do you meditate? I mean, I do. I'm not a an everyday, every morning meditator. I mean, this morning I meditated. I didn't meditate from a traditional standpoint, though. I could see that there was this energy that would support me. And so I asked for the energy to come in and I sat in it and I essentially received what you could refer to as quote unquote downloads, um, like information was coming into my being. But it wasn't mind information. It was that I could feel my body and my cells shifting. But it was so, just me sitting there for about half an hour. <laughs> so considering that 
the people I, I know who meditate, they meditate regularly, mm-hmm. daily, sometimes multiple times a day, uh, and they find so much value in it. Uh, why, why wouldn't you meditate uh, every day if you've believed the value of it? I do definitely believe in the value of it. Why not is because yeah. everything, I believe everything is all how you use it. And there are really, I believe that everything, well, at least almost everything in life can be, you know, probably everything. Even if you look at guns, there's there's an example of this in guns. Like guns, yes, there is a way in which it could serve and support. And there are so many ways they're being misused. And with everything, there's a way to use it powerfully to support ourselves. And and this can also vary depending upon where you're at and what kind of growth you are requiring in your life. So for someone, it might be really powerful to meditate every day for a number of years. And I was that person for quite some time. And then there are also the same, like those same things can be overused and they can actually be used to numb out and to check out and meditation can be used to not have to really get our own answers. So it's like meditation is essentially, there's different variations of it, but it can be used to quote unquote transcend, which is, can actually take us out of finding our spirituality in the physical plane, which is really not supportive for a lot of people. Meditation can be used to kind of numb out and just go blank too. It's, it's, which is difficult, if not impossible, to do for any extended period of time. But I, I guess maybe it's maybe your interpretation of meditation. It may not be the traditional sense, but you are so uh, in touch with the kind of energy in your life that it's something you don't have to maybe stop and tap into. Because it's, yeah, just- yeah. For me, it's like I I can do other very quick practices, or you know, it's it's all in imbo- not all always there's a growth in every next level of embodiment meditation though what you would use it for i still need it sometimes it's less frequent and there's other things that i need more now but again it is everything is all how you use it okay now you told me about the presence process and Mm -hmm. that's a book i'll have to go look into michael brown i wrote that down so what are you if you are because i may be maybe not sure you are is there a book you're reading right now What's on your nightstand? What's on my nightstand I'm not reading. (laughs) (laughs) You and me. (laughs) Yeah, right. Partially, I just, I have been really, really, really busy in a beautiful way. And when I've had time and space, it's, you know, oh, I'm going to take a bath or make love to my partner. You can read in a bathtub, by the way. I can. And often it's like, no, I just got to go inside. Just just watch the Kindle. Yeah, totally, totally. What is on my nightstand is actually a book written by, I think she's a cousin, a second cousin. Um, so I have my, my family history is, is definitely twofold. And on my mom's side, there's just so much beauty and so much understanding, you know, plenty of stuff, you know, we're all human, right? (laughs) But I have a very good relationship with my mom's side of my family. My dad's side of my family, there was a lot of turmoil growing up and I didn't want to have anything to do with them growing up. And then a couple of years ago, I discovered, or maybe a year ago, I discovered that my dad's, I think, second cousin had written a book about our ancestry that spoke to the beauty of it as well as the difficult nature of it. And I just knew immediately that there was going to be a ton of healing in that book for me. So it's been sitting on my nightstand. I have not taken the time to read it. And I actually am not entirely clear. Kind of feels like part resistance, part it's not time yet. (laughs) 
Okay, that's good. You know, I, I'm, I'm reading right now uh, a book called Hitch 22 by Christopher Hitchens, who, uh, amazing author and journalist, and uh, he's he wrote it just at the end, he wrote it just before he died, and he knew he had a, you know, there was a clock ticking on him, and he had a short period of time to put this book together. And it was really this man who's never maybe stopped to think about the family that he came from mm-hmm. and the, the, the generations they've come through. So he starts exploring, I'm in the middle of it right now, but really exploring their histories and some amazing stories. I mean, every, everybody should probably take a summer and write their own family you know, biography, autobiography or history. It's, it's, it really gives you a new appreciation. I can just see in his writing how much he really appreciates so many people who he had kind of written off. Yeah. And because of the circumstances of their lives, uh, just he, he had to stop at the end of his life and reflect on it and really came to terms with it and really found love there. Yeah. Uh, I'll leave you with one last question. Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw or Slytherin? You just spoke a different language. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Did you know that was going to happen? No. <laughs> you, 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 don't have a, you don't have a preference? I don't know who any of those things are. Are they think they're people? I think they're people. You've made my day. Okay. <laughs> okay. Those those are the houses at the Hogwarts School of Wizarding and Witchcraft oh, from yeah, Harry no. Potter. I have never read a Harry Potter book nor watched a Harry Potter movie. And, you know, oh. people tell me, oh, well, you do things that are like it. And it's like, yeah, but it's my divine nature it just comes out like I work with my hands I you know energy exudes from my hands and I support my clients with it when you know when I'm guided to but I don't like I've never actually felt the need to go outside of me for the magic okay so you 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 know if you I know you're a very busy woman if you ever get some uh, (laughs) some time I I think you're a Hufflepuff person but I'm I'm a Gryffindor, and judging from what you said about the darkness, uh, you're definitely not a Slytherin. But uh, uh, that you made my day. I thought for sure that would get a smile out of you. Okay, That's so uh, Jordana, thank you so very much for my your time today. Pleasure, Steve. And uh, so, if anybody wants to reach you, uh, what's the best way they can contact you? So uh, they can actually hop onto our website and there's a free gift for them if they'd like. Uh, so our, the website is Modern Day Sorcerer and Sorcerer is spelled S-O-R-C-E-R-E-R. That's dot com. And if they want to just stay in touch and like, oh, I'd like to, you know, get a taste of something that would support me. There's a meditation on the, the very homepage of the website called the Powerful Beyond All Measure Meditation. And no, that is not a Marianne Williamson thing. I actually, there's a long story there. Um, that's, you know, the, in the initial Gandhi quote. Uh, and I really do believe that there's so much power in all of us. And it's a meditation that I was guided to create that, you know, everyone who's done it has just told me, wow, <laughs> it takes them into their own unique version of their power. So people are welcome to go to our website and grab that free meditation. There is a way, there are multiple ways to contact us on the website. Or if they want, you know, if you want more information right now, you're welcome to email my team and just, you know, get the conversation going. And that email is team at modern day sorcerer, again, S-O-R-C-E-R-E-R.com. Great. And I'll I'll also include the the link to this um, download that you're talking about of the powerful beyond all measure meditation i'll link i'll put that in the show notes so people can go just click that that link and go get a copy of that and uh thank you so very much okay take care take care